Radio 92.7 FM WFNZ. Straight fire. This is the Wesson Walker Show. Even the crowd knows what's coming next. That's the voice of Wes Bryant calling it straight fire. I'm Walker Mail. Josh Fitty Marlowe also helping out. It's the Wes and Walker Show on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. And you can text us and help us out at 704-570-9610. That is the number to the Garage Door Guru text line, 704-570-9610. Have a couple guests helping us out today as well, both coming in the 1 o'clock hour. So that one's going to be jam-packed. Sam Farber, Charlotte Hornets play-by-play announcer, Going to be talking about their game tonight against the Indiana Pacers. And Hunter Bailey of the Charlotte Observer does an excellent job covering the Charlotte 49ers, their football team, basketball team. Also, he's going to be talking about the new hire, Biff Pogey. I thought when Travis T-Bone, it's weird I call him Travis. I just saw it on Twitter and that was weird. But T-Bone, when he texted us and, and said that that was the new hire for Charlotte, I thought it was a typo. Read it, said, okay, he's tripping. Don't know what happened. Don't know if there was an autocorrect thing there. I don't know why he would be spelling those words, Biff or Poji, but I thought it was a typo. And sure enough, that person is the new head coach for the Charlotte 49ers. So we're going to get to that again with Hunter Bailey of the Charlotte Observer. He's going to be joining us at 140 later on today. And we have some college basketball to discuss. Fitty comes in angry as hell, even if North Carolina won. And I said, what's up, man? How are you doing? Doesn't say anything to me, Wes. I mean, I'm asking him as soon as he comes in, just completely ignores me. I say, hey, what's going on? Nice salutation to start the day. Doesn't say anything to me. Even if North Carolina won, you obviously want them to win by a lot more if you're a Heels fan. I just didn't think I needed to be ignored like that. Man, that's crazy. I mean, we see that it just makes him ill when the Heels don't play good. And I didn't mean for that to rhyme, but Mm -hmm. man, I see it. You can't help it. That's fine. Uh, We're going to get to that in just a moment. But you know how it is with Wes and Walker. We're pulling up. We're driving to the game day, getting to the arena. We're on the bus. Now it's time to get off of the bus. We look good getting off the bus. I got something to say. We'll get to college basketball in just a moment, but we have some college football playoff rankings to get to first. Nothing changed in the top five. You still have the same order there. I do want to go to the ACC, though, and discuss how Clemson, I believe, is now eighth. I'm trying to pull it up here real quickly. And then North Carolina, they are 13th right now. What did you make of the college football playoff rankings as it pertains to what happened with the ACC? Uh, It was about what I thought. Clemson moved up a spot, and then Carolina moved up uh, two spots. Spot. So I thought it would be uh, basically what it was. You saw FSU take a, took a nice little leap up for. But, I mean, when you see the college football playoffs, does it really matter when you get outside of eight or nine? I mean, when you look at everybody else's ranking, it's cool to be ranked, but it's like in, in terms of the college football playoff, what they named the poll, it's like, does it matter after I get past nine or ten? History would tell you no, it does not matter past <laughs> nine. And, and p- once you get to this point in the season – then there has been no team in college football that was ranked outside of the top nine to reach it all the way to the top four. Now, you have had teams at nine reach the top four by season's end, but North Carolina has a lot of work to do if they are sitting there at 13. I'm also interested in what you think about the Notre Dame factor in all of this because Notre Dame, they've had some bad losses, but they beat North Carolina. They only have one loss. They beat Clemson. 
Clemson's only loss is to Notre Dame. Did it help North Carolina that Notre Dame beat Clemson? Or would it have helped them more if Clemson would go on to be undefeated in their ACC championship and then North Carolina take that down the Tigers? Because I'm not sure. The Notre Dame factor in all of this is really weird to try to evaluate how that matters for both of those ACC programs getting a shot for a top four spot. Yeah, I hate to answer on both sides of the fence because the way you pose it, it's like the Notre Dame doing what they're doing now helps Carolina's case as far as that being their only blemish on the schedule. But then, you know, the Clemson factor, you would want Clemson to be as highly ranked. So to answer your question, you want the Tigers to be as highly ranked as they possibly could be uh, when you play them in that ACC championship Yeah, I think game. that's right. Yeah. I think that's right. I think if Clemson would have gone in undefeated, they'd still be number four, right? I don't think there's even any, any style point loss. I mean, even if Clemson was winning by three, I think they had done enough to still be ranked in the top four. And then when North Carolina would go to beat Clemson in this hypothetical, that would do a lot more damage and that would help them out a lot more hopefully getting a top four spot. Let's discuss some more college athletics. We saw North Carolina last night. They did win against Gardner-Webb. They got the job done. But the reason we were talking about Fiddy not exactly being so pleased with North Carolina's performance, it's the fact that North Carolina was only up six late in this game, and they only won by six. 72-66 was the score of that North Carolina Gardner-Webb game last night. Even so, Hubert Davis did say how proud he is of that team. I'm very proud of the team. I'm very happy that we won with the sustained effort and energy and the joy of being out there on the floor and having a chance to compete every day and see what this team can accomplish. It's not where it needs to be. It's not consistent. And as I said before, it will change and it will get better. Let's go to the biggest Heels fan in the room and ask if he's proud of this team or if he wants to go and do the whole win one for the Gipper speech. How much would you chastise this team for their performance last night, Fitting? It's, it's just very clear that this is a team, and Hubert Davis said this in a separate media session with Jones Angel on the Tar Heel Sports Network. There's a lack of energy and passion that I don't think we expected coming off a, a, a defeat last year in the national title game. It's clear they're still learning how to play without Brady Manick. They're, they're incorporating you know, a new player in Pete Nance. Hubert Davis is using a lot of lineups you see in November, historically under Roy Williams, with a lot of freshmen getting minutes. But it's more about the lack of energy and passion. The same thing that plagued this team at times last year, it's kind of returned. And we just didn't expect that coming off of how last season ended with all the hype entering this season. Gardner-Webb dealt with the knockout blow in the second half. So as soon as they come out of the locker room, North Carolina looks like a heels team that was going to dominate in the last 20 minutes. But then Gardner-Webb came back and they scored 44 points. So even if you wanted to say that UNC played well enough on defense to take control of this one, that wasn't true in the second half, even if they only held Gardner-Webb to 22 in the first. The positive is my guy Pete Nance finally stepping up. He had 18 points in this game. A lot of the damage done in the first half. He had 16 points of the 26 total that they scored in the first 20 minutes. Good to see Pete Nance step up here, Wes, as we're trying to figure out some of the positives for North Carolina in a 3-0 start, yet underwhelming 3-0 start. Yeah, I thought about that uh, last night. I said, man, you know, I said, 
uh, Walker's boys out there balling today. Uh, you know, I thought Gardner Webb, they got a couple of teepees at the end of the game and made the score look that like that. But still, if you Carolina, you want to have a little bit of a stronger statement. I know the Hills fans aren't excited about that, especially, you know, only b- being plus two in the rebounding advantage and shooting the ball so poorly right now. I mean, Caleb Love chucking shots and He's still looking a little, you know, inefficient like we've known him to be, just taking any shot that looks good to him. Davis, RJ, you know, he struggled last night as well. And Baycott, you know, you want to see him. I'm sure Fiddy would love to see him be a little bit more dominant than 10 points and nine boards. I mean, if you're going to be an NBA big and you're playing Gardner-Webb, that needs to be minimum 25 and, and 12 boards. Yeah, Armando was bad last night. I mean, he played all but four minutes of this game and finished two of nine from the field against the Bulldogs. Only scored 10 points. Also had three turnovers. There was a bad, bad baseline pass that got stolen from him. Armando did not look good in this one, but I do expect him to bounce back. Do we expect Duke to bounce back? That's the question as well. They fall to Kansas, and what was an entertaining game at the end? It was a rock fight for a while. High defensive intensity, really physical in this one, and Kansas actually comes back in the second half to beat Duke. I did think Filipowski was very good in this one. He showed up, so that's some talent I think Blue Devils fans are going to be excited about. Here's John Shire losing his first primetime game as a Duke head coach. There's, there's no question that's the best form of learning. You know, just being in these moments, there's no way to simulate it. That doesn't mean I'm happier or, or uh, enjoying this loss by any means. It's you have to hate it and learn, you know, learn from it, grow from it. But being in this, playing the Champions Classic every year, you know, of course you want to come away and winning, but you probably learn more when you lose because you're, you're, even if we won that game, it's we would have won not being at our at our best with the way we took care of the ball and some of the plays we can make and do a better job of absolutely playing this makes you makes you better as a team and and as a program Wes you were scared when you heard Willie Cauley Stein's name (laughs) compared to Derek Lively Willie Cauley Stein's going to catch a lot of strays simply for that Brendan Marks comment alone so apologize to Cauley Stein but Lively comes in prime time four points five rebounds only takes a few shots I don't feel like you're impressed with this Duke team, and I don't think you have been, even with some of the recruits that they had coming in to this season. How are you feeling now after the 69-64 loss to Kansas? I mean, look, you everybody knows I'm a wake alum, but when I watch Duke, I expect excitement. These guys have spoiled me with some of the NBA talents, whether they panned out or not. When you're talking about the Marvin Bagley crew and then Zion and the crew, they came out of the gate. When you watch Zion and them play in the Champions Classic, you were like, whoa, like... These guys are for real, for real. When I watch these guys, very underwhelming. They're only shooting 28% this season from three-point land, 41% from the field. I know it's been only three games, but one of those games was USC Upstate and Jacksonville. So I'm saying I expect to see a lot more of this crew. Derek Lively, I'm not seeing it at all. Uh, Any type of dominance for him being a number one overall player. Filipowski has been their best guy so far, and Jeremy Roach has been the veteran Uh, that he's supposed to be for this team. But as far as the eye test and what I normally see from Duke, as far as just tantalizing freshmen and just guys that, you know, you just love seeing the talent, I'm not seeing it right now from this team. I don't think they have a, you know, a true difference maker or difference makers 
on that team like we've seen in the past. I'm laughing at the text line, 704-570-9610. David, not a Duke fan, wrote in, Baycott takes the ball to the basket like a wounded flamingo at times. <laughs> Wes, what does a wounded flamingo sound like? <laughs> I just had something, I did put man. you just, on the spot. I yeah, didn't yeah, I just had to think, and uh, I don't even think flamingos make noises, I, I, do they? I mean, I don't know what they sound like. I think that's probably as good of a sound that I would make for a wounded flamingo. <laughs> Somebody else wrote in that they're not pleased with Armando Baycott. 980 number said that he's one of the most overrated players, not only in the country, but in the ACC. There's a reason he's back for what feels like his 15th season at North Carolina. People not happy with the way that UNC played and or Armando Baycott. Last couple things I do want to set the show with Hornets Pacers tonight. If you were listening to Charlotte Sports Today, I was talking with Jeff Rickard about this, how the Pacers are always kind of a team that I compare the Hornets to yeah. because the Pacers have been able to have different iterations of successful years. They get to the NBA Finals with Reggie and Jalen. They have an awesome team with Jermaine O'Neal, Ron Artest. They're able to get to the Conference Finals with Paul George. Wes, it feels like this is a Pacers team that is well on their way to doing that sort of thing with Tyrese Halliburton and Ben Matherin. It's frustrating as a Hornets fan because you want that. You don't want to have to have the whole tank talk where you finally get your star in LaMelo Ball, but where is the second guy that is young to go alongside LaMelo? You might have had that with Miles Bridges last season. I don't know what's going to happen going forward, but we know that he was arrested for a felony domestic violence charge earlier this offseason. So that is going to have to be in effect when you talk about two young stars. Charlotte still tonight, they got to take advantage of this one. It's the first game at home that they're going to have in this five-game road stretch. So I don't know if they're going to be able to do it. Pacers have been playing a lot better. But I, I do think that this is one of the games you look at and say, okay, this is gettable. You have 11 losses to start. If you want to be a play-in team, Indiana is a franchise you have to be. Yeah, no doubt. But Indiana is a franchise that they are of sound mind, I would say. This is an organization that they rarely make basketball decisions that you're just like, this makes no sense at all. We know they're in basketball country. Indiana basketball is king. And I feel like their NBA organization operates as such. Um, they always bring in guys that make a lot of sense. They may not win championships. Uh, they hire good coaches. They're just a good, sound organization. And I think that's what you're talking about when you were saying how this team is constructed as compared to the Charlotte Hornets. This just feels like a sound, stable organization. You might not get fantastic or super exciting, but you're going to get sound, solid basketball when you're talking about the Indiana Pacers organization. This is a game that the Hornets do need to try to get tonight, but whether they will do that or not, we shall see. LaMelo's had a couple of games under his belt. And this Indiana team is sitting there at 6-6. Six and six. They're 6-4 six and four in their last 10, so it's not like they're world beaters. So the Hornets got to come out and try to get it done tonight. I don't think Armando Baycott is overrated, by the way, but I wanted to get to this text exchange between Fiddy and a listener where Fiddy said, Armando tied the Division One record for most double-doubles last season, but sure, he's overrated. And then the response was, yeah, but that was because that was his 14th season. So I thought, <laughs> thought that was kind of a funny comment. Armando's getting that bag, that <laughs> Netflix bag. That might be why he's a little complacent. Yeah, maybe. that'll be that'll be good. Yes, it is nice to get the Netflix bag. It is the Wesson <laughs> Walker Show. Coming back, we'll discuss. Gus Baker Mayfield playing this weekend against the Baltimore Ravens. Could this be his last start for the Carolina Panthers? We'll get to that next. Wesson Walker, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.
going to get angry fitty today. That's just how it is. The mood is really affected. He had tried he tried to warn us a lot about what it's like when North Carolina loses a basketball game. And I can imagine why he's frustrated. North Carolina didn't play well. It was only a six-point victory. They were only up six, I mean, late in this one. It was enough for you to stop whatever you were doing, whatever other program you were watching, and then turn it to that contest to see if North Carolina was indeed going to fall to Gardner-Webb. And I, I just didn't realize even still you survive, and yet Fiddy's mood is very much affected. He is very much not here with the same type of energy and or happiness today. What What is the equivalent of winning against Gardner Webb but not playing well? Is that like a loss to Boston College or what? What, what is what's the closest loss that would make you feel the same type of way? Look, for my entire life before last year, I watched Carolina be basketball. Carolina basketball be coached by Roy Williams, and one of his one of his coach isms was that. He never looked at the scoreboard. So whenever I watch the game, like the scoreboard is there, I don't pay attention to it. I watch the way my team plays. And I've watched them play for 180 minutes now, 48, 120 minutes now. And I never once thought I've seen a team that was the number one team in the country. They didn't look like a team that, um, you know, is coming off a heartbreaking loss in the national title game. We thought there was going to be a hunger, a desire, and a passion to go out there and compete and overwhelm, you know, overmatched opponents, and that hasn't happened. And that's why I'm frustrated. I know in the long run everything's going to be okay, but this isn't how we do sports talk radio. We live in the now, and right now they haven't played to my standard, and I'm frustrated at that. So the Carolina Panthers also haven't played to people's standard, specifically coming into the season some guys had people or had Carolina going all the way to the playoffs this year with Baker Mayfield coming in as the QB. It might have been close, but there was that type of expectation that was within the realm of possibility. And yet here they are where Steve Wilkes has to take over. Matt Rule is the first fired head coach in the NFL. Baker Mayfield is going to start this weekend, Wes, against the Baltimore Ravens. And we were shocked when we saw the news because we thought it was a performance-based decision. It was not. It yeah. was because P.J. Walker has an ankle sprain, which is happening all too often here in the city of Charlotte, whether it be the Hornets or the Panthers, and Baker Mayfield takes over because of P.J. Walker's injury. My question is, what are the chances that this is the last time we see Baker Mayfield start at quarterback? Because I think the chances are pretty damn high. Baltimore's a good football team. We have not seen Baker play good football. He got quite a bit of chances at the beginning of the season, and he wasn't doing anything to take that job and run with it. He has one more shot, and you can lose a job to in injury. I mean, that can absolutely happen. So if he comes in and plays well, I could see a world where Steve Wilkes decides to name Baker Mayfield the starter. But if he doesn't, then there's still no evidence as to why you would go back to Baker Mayfield as the starter over PJ. And also, Sam Darnold's getting healthier I could understand not wanting to start Sam Darnold this weekend because he still has to get up to speed on the offense, has never played a regular season game with Ben McAdoo as the offensive coordinator. So he still has to get up to speed. He sat out of football for a while now because he went on IR. So as soon as he has a couple weeks under his belt where he's healthy, I wonder if Sam Darnold and PJ Walker are both above Baker Mayfield on the QB depth chart 
What say you on the chances we see Baker Mayfield make his last start with Carolina? I think we see him again because that's just the nature of the beast. I mean, with P.J. Walker having a high ankle sprain, those things are unpredictable. He's probably going to be out for a little while. And then Sam Donald, as I said, epic turnover machine. So I don't see him getting in there and showing anything to make you want to keep him in no matter what. So, uh, yeah, I think that this will not be the last we see of Baker just by default. We had Mike K of the Charlotte Observer join Kyle Bailey on the Kyle Bailey show to discuss that very question, whether Sunday could be the last start for Baker. This is going to be a tough game. I I think the Ravens are really going to dominate this offense. Um, And if not, I'd be, uh, you know, I I think I would be pretty surprised. Uh, I, I think, you know, offensively, Mark Andrews and Lamar Jackson are the key. You got to stop those two guys. But from the quarterback room perspective, I think this is Baker's last stand. If Baker goes out and he competes and he throws for 300 yards and three touchdowns, I think he, there's no looking back. If he bombs, then I think you you turn Sam Darnold and and hope that his ankle is fully healed. Yeah, this is this feels very much like a last shot for Baker, and I wonder if Baker feels that pressure too. It wasn't that way coming in because he had all the leverage in the world. Carolina, even if it is only a conditional pick that could go to a fourth if he plays all of these snaps, Carolina still decided, despite Sam Darnold being on contract, to go after Baker because they wanted him to be the starting QB. It went really awful for Sam Darnold last year. After the first month where you have everybody celebrating the Panthers, you had good morning football, the people were wearing the Sam Darnold poorly drawn Panther on the t-shirt <laughs> for, for Thursday night football against the Houston Texans. Yeah. Carolina was undefeated. They get off to a 3-0 and start, 3-1 and after the loss to the Cowboys, where they still even look pretty good in that game offensively. I think they scored 28, I think it was 36-28, something like that. So after that, it went horribly, horribly wrong for Sam Darnold. Hey, bro. Baker had, <laughs> Baker had a... Really tough slate to start the season. The leverage is gone here. I think there's a real shot that Baker does start his last game for Carolina, and there's only seven games left. So if you do think we're going to see Baker a little bit more as the season goes on, how do you feel like the games are going to be divided up with Baker, Sam Darnold back in the fold, and even P.J. Walker, who's not going to be out for the rest of the year? This is a week-to-week thing with him. I mean, you look at Baltimore. Okay, so Baker has the propensity to come into this game, turn it over, not play well, maybe get snatched out of the game for Sam Darnold, right? But if I was to go through, I say Baker will finish the game. Uh, I don't think he'll play well. I think Denver. So I think you're looking at seven games left. I think we'll see, and we don't know when PJ will come back from his injury. But let's just say, let's say they're all healthy from this from from, from this, this point game. on. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. I would say we'll see each one of these guys probably in at least a game and a half to two games. Each one of them. So you're saying it's just revolving doors still. Now, now if PJ comes back healthy, I think he's going to get the best chance to redeem himself in a job. But just from what I've seen, you know, so far, you know, I'm not sure that he stays in there. But I think that coach wants to give him the best chance of everybody because, as I said, we haven't gotten a clear picture of what he has to offer. I feel like we know at this point what Baker has to offer. We know at this point what Sam Darnold has to offer. So I could see P.J. I'll upgrade him to, if they're all healthy, two to three games because I think they really want to see what they have in him. But I'm just not sure he's got enough to hold on. You can text into the Garage Door Guru text line. 
I call, I call for that late. That's my fault. <laughs> Fiddy, I set you up for failure. I'll take that responsibility. You can text it at 704-570-9610. We did have blindside Chris write in that Kalias Campbell is going to look like Misty May trainer. Spike and Baker Mayfield passes back in his face. Kerry Walsh, Misty May, one of the top duos of all time, Listen, right? I used to watch. They started me watching volleyball in the Olympics. I won't say all the reasons why I watched, but I did enjoy watching them for their win streak uh, as well. They were quite the duo. Seed, I, I really have no shame saying that I watched them because they were so awesome. Like, that's why I watched Gary <laughs> Walsh and Misty Made Trainer. And also, what was it? Phil Dahlhauser? What was yeah. the what was the men's tandem that was so good? Oh, I forget. Todd Rogers and Phil Dahlhouse. Yeah, I don't even bother like with them. I watch straight women's beach volleyball. Okay, well there you go. That is the very <laughs> that's that's the West take on watching beach volleyball. I was get, I was trying to give some clout to Misty May and Terry Walsh. <laughs> yeah, they were phenomenal. Yeah, they they were very good, and we're going to move on from that very quickly. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about <laughs> Baker Mayfield and the quarterback situation here with Carolina because I, I do think it's interesting that Justin Fields is starting to ball out. And with Justin Fields balling out with Chicago the last month of the season, they're starting to let him be an athlete. They're starting to let him run all over the yard. Honestly, it's what Matt Nagy would not do with Mitch Trubisky, who wasn't even near the athlete that Justin Fields was. But once they started trying to confine him to only the pocket, then Chicago wasn't going to the playoffs anymore. That offense looked even worse than what Mitch did the first time that he was having a full year with Matt Nagy. This team seems to have understood now why they drafted Justin Fields and how they could use him in the now while trying to develop him for the future. Justin Fields looks awesome. He's running for close to 150. What was it? I think it's 300 yards the last two games rushing for Justin Fields. That offense looks completely different. And when they're running Justin Fields, they have some open guys running downfield where you're having a lot easier uh, passes that you can connect with. Cole Komet was the beneficiary of like a 50-yard bomb from Justin. Man, there were a lot of people saying when we had this whole invest in the QB position in the first round for the first time in a while, fans would come in and say, well, there hasn't been really anybody that's hit. You know, Justin Herbert was the only guy, but you had to create some kind of package to trade up to go get Herbert because he was selected one slot before you picked. Eventually, you made that selection for Derrick Brown. Justin Fields seems like he could break that example, Wes. Justin Fields seems like the guy now that, oh, okay, there was someone that Carolina could have invested in, and Justin Fields is balling for a bad Chicago team still, but man, if you if, if you were to go back, back on the last month of the season, yeah, I would like to see that in the black and blue instead of playing in Chicago. Yeah, no question about it, and again, we always talk about how does it look. Well, 749 rushing yards, 7.2 eclipse, six touchdowns. It looks really exciting the way he plays football. And then you factor in the Bears' offensive line is not very good. He doesn't have many weapons, so you place him here with Carolina with a better offensive line, and you just wonder about the possibilities, but you don't want to wonder too much because you'll probably get depressed thinking about an exciting dual-threat quarterback we know, you know, Cam Newton, what he brought here and the excitement he he garnered when he played. So with Justin Fields, you're getting a lot of those same things. He's really putting that 4 three forty that he ran in his workout to work. And he's looking like an exciting, exciting prospect 
uh, especially the more weapons Chicago gets around him, the better the line. Listen, man, if you're going to default, you always have to default quarterback. I'm not the biggest gambler. I'm not really a gambler at all. But when you talk about who moves the, the meter on point spreads, it's quarterback. You guys took J.C. Horn. He's a good player, but he's not moving the meter. If he misses a game, the spread is not moving a point, okay? The quarterback is what matters. You should have taken some gambles on a couple of guys to this point, and Justin Fields is one of those. And now you're just going to be watching highlights of this guy every week doing what he does. I mean, 178 last week. Can I interest you in that? Yes, can you can. Can I interest you in 147 yards? Yes, you can. Uh, <laughs> this past <laughs> week, I mean, man. Justin Fields throwing the football, he's not accumulated 200 yards except one time this year. That yeah, was 200. But the completion percentage is going up no, and it's getting more consistent. No, sure. I am yeah. not I am not saying that I don't yeah, want yeah, Justin I say Fields, yeah. right? But if you look at the passing numbers, they certainly uh, totality, it's not there, right? Only 150 against Dallas, 123 against Miami. I mean, that is I mean, that's <laughs> 28 attempts leading to 123 yards. Yeah. The passing still has a long way to go. There's no doubt about it. But also, if you are running as effectively as you are, I mean, he's gone five games now where he's rushed for at least 60 yards. And each of them in the last two, as I mentioned, he's run for over 300. The thing about that NFL... Now don't forget, too, he's seven touchdown passes the last three weeks. Yeah, Even so, though the, the yardage is low, but the... Touchdowns. Though. Well, red zone weapon wise, yeah. it, it's it's Cam Newton esque. Mm -hmm. I mean, Cam Newton, I think, is still the best red zone weapon of all time. Yeah. I, but but watching what Justin Fields has in him, and I, I hate doing the whole black quarterback compared to black quarterback thing. Like yeah. I, I hate doing that. But Justin Fields, big dude, athletic as hell. Okay. I mean, he even had a faster forty time, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Than Justin, what Cam Justin Fields ran four three. Crazy. Just crazy. That's a really scary red zone weapon. And I guess here I am doing the black quarterback thing again when I look at Lamar Jackson. But if you look at what Lamar Jackson did his rookie year, mm -hmm. kind of similar where Lamar didn't start all these games that Justin did. He took over halfway through the season after they decided to bench Joe Flacco. But Lamar Jackson comes in, reaches 200 yards how many times? Once mm -hmm. in the last half of the season. He's rushing all over the yard. Now, even Lamar Jackson didn't run for as many yards as Justin Fields did the last two games, but they were winning a lot more. Lamar comes in, and they only lose one of his starts as the season ends for Baltimore. Even if Justin Fields was starting the first half and Lamar was not in the first, I do feel like those things are comparable because of the progress they made. You start to figure it out a little bit. Hey, this is where I can win. This is, these are some of the plays that I can be successful in. And then that will help the passing game as my career kind of goes on. So I wouldn't be surprised if you see Justin Fields start to figure it all out. And then you have this conversation about the next contract for Justin Fields. And he's going to be a prime candidate to watch next year. As far as maybe not the MVP conversation is concerned, but he's certainly going to be a prime candidate when we talk about Pro Bowl quarterbacks and how his athleticism can help him reach that goal. Yeah, no doubt. And don't feel bad about the black quarterback comparison. I mean, which white quarterback are you going to compare him to? Steve Young? Like, what is the only way you going to go? Well, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing, though. But that, but you—that's what people do. Yeah, like Josh yeah. Allen, maybe. You know, Josh Allen. Yeah, could, you could Josh Allen a little there. bit, but yeah. I mean, you still think of him as you do think he plays a a game similar to theirs as well. But when we talk about the guys who really do it, do it. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? So don't. Anyway. You're but, good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
But yeah, so uh, okay, then that made me forget the question that you asked. No, I didn't ask a question. I was yeah. just talking about Justin Fields and then discussing if Carolina does, you know, regret on passing on yeah, him. Yeah, you you have to at this point because when you see what what he's bringing to the table, I mean. This was a guy. Now, during that draft, I can't sit here and say that I was like, oh, the Panthers really messed up by not taking him because I got the whole Ohio State thing in my head. And I just got a little leery because you remember they were talking about my 49ers taking him as well. And I wasn't 100 percent sold on him, even though I've been following his career since high school. I knew what a pedigree prospect that he was. But then just little stupid stuff that they started talking about before the draft got in my head. And I was just a little bit leery of him. But um He's a guy that now, as I say, you start to see the growth and maturity and Chicago sticking with him and not wanting him to be great yesterday and really giving him time to develop. And they're going to build this team around him. And I think he's starting to pay off those beliefs. At I, this point. No, I think that's a great point. And it's something Carolina might have to follow next year because that Chicago team, the offensive line. Not good. Awful. Certainly were not good in the first half of Mooney's the season. Mooney's his only receiver until they just went and got Claypool. But they stuck with him. They gave him time. There was never a shot that Justin Fields was ever going to be benched. At least not that I heard. I don't know if anybody's listening to local Chicago radio, but I didn't think there was any shot that Justin Fields would be benched. And I think to have that type of comfort, allowing him to figure it out, it's kind of worked here lately. The last thing I'll say about this is when you look at that NFL draft, the worst that could happen is that you still drafted a hell of a player in J.C. Horn. Still allowing a crazy low passer rating among the best in all of the NFL. And even if it's not at a position of value that QB brings you, the worst that happens is that you draft J.C. Horn, who is going to be a potential all-pro type player. And he's got that. I mean, we're not even talking about Pro Bowl here. We, we, I could absolutely see J.C. Horn being someone as a top-two corner for one, two, three seasons, you know, that that type of level. So to me, yes, I was always championing drafting Justin Fields and investing at that spot because Carolina has avoided it for a long time now. But at least the other side of the coin is that, okay, well, now now what sucks about all of this is that we're here with J.C. Horn. That That's not a bad scenario to be in if you did pass on a Justin Fields. To your point, though, the position value of Justin Fields at quarterback, it matters a lot. In the NFL going forward, it matters absolutely a ton. Okay, let's transition. Let's go to the campus corner, talk more college basketball and college football playoff rankings, but not before the Fitty Flash. What you got, Fitty? All right, guys, let's go to a topic that's really dominated the NFL as a whole the last Let's say let's say the last two weeks, and that's players coming out speaking on the surface that they're playing on, calling for the NFL to transition to all natural uh, grass services, including a certified chotch Aaron Rodgers saying, "quote I do think it's time to go all grass throughout the league. I think you would see less of these non-contact injuries that we see on some of the surfaces." And then it'd be a good step in the right direction towards player safety to make the requirement for every field to be grass. Wes, you played college football. Yes. You played on all natural grass services and on turf services. Yeah. What do you think of this player-led movement to get NFL stadiums back on all natural grass playing fields? Well, I'm not opposed to it. I think that these owners, though, can't be cheap when they do go to the grass. How many fields did we see when it was natural grass? Big chunks coming out of the Panthers used to have a bad grass field until they switched uh, to the field turf. So that was my main thing. It's like teams that if you don't want to pay for good grass and to keep it up, you need to get field turf. 
So if you're going to go back to natural grass, it needs to be like Clemson's or it needs to be like Georgia's. They have the most beautiful grass fields you'll ever want to see. I played on Clemson's surface. It is magnificent. I mean, when you play, I, I can't believe it's real grass when you go out there and play on it. So I just say if the owners are going to go back to that, don't be cheap. Because like I said, I remember the old videos with big patches of grass and guys running and and stepping in holes and all kind of stuff, man. So get good grass. Yeah, if it, it, good grass is exactly <laughs> what the players want to play on. Straight grass, homie. Yeah. yeah, that's what it is. All right, let's visit the campus corner on the Wesson Walker Show coming up next. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. show on sports radio 927 wfnz we'll be taking you up until 3 p.m coming up next segment it's sam farber to help us talk about the charlotte hornets he's the play-by-play announcer someone you can hear on the call right here on sports radio 927 fm wfnz and you can still text in 704-570-9610 we had z right in hey walker when's the biff poji talk Want to make sure I'm listening? Well, good news. I hope you're listening now because we're about to dive right on in with the Campus Corner. If you're wondering what a Biff Pogey is, he is a new head coach for the Charlotte 49ers after Bruce Feldman revealed the news yesterday and Charlotte confirmed it a little while later. He was the associate head coach with the Michigan Wolverines for the past couple of years. He's a dominant high school coach, having won 13 state titles during his high school tenure. He was actually a hedge fund manager and made millions of dollars doing that in between football stints. This guy is as interesting as you could possibly get, especially when you reveal the pictures of him wearing a cutoff that were pretty damn revealing. Yeah. So the Biff Pogey tenure starts yesterday with the Charlotte 49er football program. Luckily, Bruce Feldman of The Athletic joined Kyle Bailey on the Kyle Bailey Show yesterday, and he had some glowing reviews on Charlotte's new head coach. And so you're talking about a guy who is like a next-level kind of thinker as he's talking about creating a culture and running an organization. He never was taking a salary as as successful as he was as a high school coach. So I think the other piece of this is everybody, and I'm talking players, is so, you know, gushes over him and how they feel about him. I'd be very surprised if he is not going to be a huge presence in the transfer portal because of the relationships he has and the way he's able to get people to buy in. I'd be shocked if you do not see a lot of really good talent there not long after you know we the, the calendar turns. Roger Sherman tweeted out that Biff Pogey hit it big investing in the 80s and is worth mega millions, but all he wants to do is coach ball while wearing sleeveless shirts. Biff Pogey is a legend, and he's ours now here in the Queen City, everyone. What did you make of the Biff Pogey hire, Wes? Well, let me start out first by saying when I was a kid, we had a cat named Biff, okay? And <laughs> he was one mean... S-O-B. Why'd you name him Biff? I didn't name him. I don't remember how he got his name, but I know he was one mean rascal. You came up <laughs> playing with Biff, you were going to come back with a scratch hand, okay? But, yeah, this man is a high school goat, and I like this about him. He's a winner. They said he was a huge part of Michigan's turnaround in their culture, which that's another great thing. But, listen, when you talk about the state championships, this man had a team that was so good 
teams in the area were refusing to play them. They once won one of those state championships because every team forfeited their games because they said the St. Francis players were too big. You think Charlotte may be able to pull that off? A team say, man, they're Charlotte 49ers. They're too big, too fast, too physical for us. We can't, we can't play in one of those games. It's something Charlotte needs to fix right now is the recruiting. And Biff oh, Pogey does seem like he can recruit, especially yeah. when he founded himself a football program, a private football program, where he was able to have someone like a Blake Corum, a star running back with Michigan right mm. now, went to that high school and then followed him to college because of the way that he had a great relationship with one Biff Pogey. And Jim yeah. Harbaugh, apparently, Pogey was one of the only guys to get through to him. And because his presence was because of his presence with Michigan, they they were able to turn some things around, finally get to a playoff. And you have, I think, so the two years that they were there, you know, that's when Michigan really started to turn it around. And as you heard Bruce Feldman, everybody he talks to, everybody's in love yeah, with they said, Yeah, they said at St. Francis he paid the salary of the staff. He underwrote tuition and housing for players. So that's the thing I like as well because I feel, mm-hmm. feel like that he's going to be a coach that really cares about his players. That's going to come across to them, which is going to help in recruiting as well. We know it's all about NIL and things of that nature, but they still want a guy that they know that cares about them, and if he's able to translate that across to the players, I think that's going to help as well. So, uh, yeah. Nick Saban commented on Biff Pogey saying congratulations to Mike Hill and the Charlotte 49ers for a great hire. Biff Pogey will generate excitement and success for the program. The players will love playing for him and the coaches will love working with him. Get ready to win. Here's the thing about Pogey, just real quickly before we move on to some college basketball. All we have to go off of is narrative in the college game. We can't really go off of anything else. And I think that's the really hard part to decipher if you're a 49er fan. You can hear all these great stories and they matter. Contextually, they very much so matter because yeah. that is the reason why you hire him outside of the reasons, outside of the success that he had in high school football. But he wasn't an offensive coordinator. So you can't judge how his players played in a Biff Pogey offense. He wasn't the OC, so you can't measure how much an offense improved when he started. You can't do that with defense for the same reason. He wasn't a defensive coordinator. There's really nothing you can do to judge what he's done in the college game outside of stories, outside of, well, Michigan, they played a lot better once he came to that program, but also that gets a little dicey where we, all right, maybe can they, can we just talk about Harbaugh recruiting at that point? Can we talk about something else as to why Michigan improved? So that's the hard part to decipher. But from everything I read, it's a glowing review by Bruce Feldman, by Nick Saban, by anybody that ever talks to him. And Mike Hill. Mike Hill apparently likes him well enough to hire him. And it happened really quiet. It did. It didn't expect this to happen at this point in the season. So, yeah, the Charlotte 49ers have a new head football coach. Real quickly, we'll talk about some college basketball with North Carolina struggling in the first half. And then even in the second half, Gardner Webb kind of stopped the knockout blow that the Tar Heels attempted coming out of the locker room. Wes, does it change your expectations surrounding this Heels team as they come in number one after just appearing in a national championship a year earlier? Uh, Not really, because one of my favorite words, pedigree, this is North Carolina we're talking about. They may struggle or they may not look the way you want them to look sometimes, but still at the end of the day, it's North Carolina. They're going to be better. And you kind of feel like maybe they're sleepwalking through some of these games, and I think that's what uh, Coach wants them to do is wake up. But, I mean, right now in the season, they're only shooting what I'm more worried about is just them shooting 27% as a team uh, for the season so far. Them and Duke, neither one of them can shoot the basketball uh, to start this season. So 
Uh, that's the main thing I'm concerned about. But I do I agree with Fitty to where where's that just nastiness where you're coming out on a mission. We've seen teams in sports that when they had tragic endings to their season as far as just on the field, on the court, how it ended. And then they come out the next season like gangbusters and they just want to just beat everybody down and send a message every time they take the floor. And I think that's what's missing from this team right now. And maybe they have a little bit of thought that, hey, you know, just roll it out. We're going to come out there and people are going to lay down for us. So. Yeah, Kansas being a team that played the Duke Blue Devils last night. It was the first primetime game that we got from either one of these squads. Duke loses. They did have a lead late in the game but then Kansas comes back. It was actually a little bit back and forth between these two teams as the uh, as the uh, game went on. What did you think of Duke's performance against the Jayha- uh, Jayhawks? Um, you know, it was a cool performance. It's early in the season. And like I said, mainly just the eye test for me. This team just doesn't wow me in any shape or form. None of the freshmen really stood out to me as far as just looking like a, a monster, a terror at the collegiate level. As I've said, Derek Lively, not very impressed uh, with him and what he can bring. He looks like just a, a, a garbage man that's going to get lobs and get offensive rebounds and, and do things like that. But I don't know that he's a go-to guy. And I don't think this Duke team has a go-to guy. Jeremy Roach is their veteran. He looks to be that role for them right now. And if that is the case, uh, the Blue Devils, in my opinion, are not going to be very dominant if Jeremy Roach is going to be their go-to guy. We'll talk about the professional ranks coming up next. The Charlotte Hornets play the Indiana Pacers tonight. Sam Farber will be on the call right here on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. How have you seen LaMelo Ball impact the game? We're going to ask that same question to Sam Farber. Find out what he has to say coming up next. It's the Wesson Walker Show on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.